National Championship week has arrived. Uh, we expected it to some degree for Alabama, and here it is. We're at the end of the season, and this Alabama team so far has continued to live up to the tremendous potential that we've seen from them all year, and now they face one more final ultimate test for their season. Uh, we've got some, some breaking news this week uh, that could potentially impact that game, and we're going to get into it right off the top of the show. Uh, but first, let me introduce my co-hosts here, two of the best reporters in the Southeastern Conference. That would be Matt Zenitz and John Talty. So, guys, before we get into the, the news that has come out since the semifinals that, uh, regarding the national title game, I, I do want to first talk to you a little bit about Alabama's opponent in the national title game. We're going to go way deeper into that next week on game day. We're going to do a special episode of First Down South uh, where we – preview the actual national title game next Monday on the day of the game. Uh, and that show, like this one, will be brought to you by Andrew Sports Medicine, who is sponsoring all of our national championship coverage this week, uh, which we really appreciate them for. So let's let's get a little bit into Ohio State. I think a lot of us, uh, the, the, we, I, you know, when we talked about the other semifinal, we did seem to, I think all three of us felt like it was going to be a pretty good matchup. I don't think any of us really counted Ohio State out, but I don't know that necessarily any of us saw a blowout win for Ohio State coming in this game. Were you shocked by that, John? I think I was to some extent. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people thought that Clemson was going to win that game. And so, you know, I think um, you know, Ohio State performed, you know, I think better than expected. One of the things that I think I was most impressed by, um, this isn't a shocking take, I think a lot of people were, was just the, the play of Justin Fields. You know, he had struggled in his last couple of games. Uh, you know, that Northwestern game, I didn't think he played particularly well. And had went from a guy who was, I think, you know, people assumed he was probably the second quarterback taken. Um, and then you, know, you all had all this talk about maybe the BYU guy or the North Dakota State guy. And, and Fields play, you know coupled with the struggles that Dwayne Haskins had at the NFL level, you know, I think had dropped his stock to some extent and, you know, just came out and, and just, I think, had a terrific performance. Uh, Trey Sermon has been incredible these last couple of games. Uh, and I think offensively, Ryan Day just did a great job. You know, I think he was able to attack uh, Brent Venables uh, in a way that, you know, Venables very rarely gets attacked. Uh, and I think, you know, coming up for this game, and I know we'll preview it, you know, next week on Monday, but I think one of the things that I'm most fascinated by is just kind of the, the Ryan Day versus, you know, Pete Golding battle, because I think, uh, you know, this Alabama defense hasn't been tested that much this year. You know, Ole Miss is a big one. Florida against Dan Mullen, I think was a strong one, and I think Ryan Day will be the next one to really test them. Matt, I, I, I'm curious about your thoughts on the the game that you saw out of Ohio State, but but in particular, um, you know, the, the, the matchup between these two teams. I think a lot of people view Clemson as kind of this, like, ultimate foil to Nick Saban's program at Alabama because they've beaten Alabama twice in national title games. But what do we know about this Ohio State program and kind of how – I mean, we haven't seen them matched up against Alabama since 2014. Is, is this – team built substantially differently than Clemson? How, how do you see that going down? I, I think it takes a team with next level players to put, put a, a team in position to be competitive with Alabama and potentially beat them. And Ohio State is the, the team with 
most next level type guys that Alabama's had to deal with this year, including somebody at the most important position on the field in terms of quarterback position with Justin Fields, who is coming off his best performance of the, the year by far. So it's interesting. And John made reference to this with the Northwestern game and the, the Big Ten title game. That there was no reason to think coming out of that that Ohio State would be beating Clemson by three touchdowns. But they they played their best football of the year during the course of that game. And once again, this is the most talented team that Alabama will have faced to this point. And to go along with that, the best quarterback that they have faced to this point. Yeah, we like I said, we will definitely get into the specifics of the matchup uh, and go into a little more detail about it next Monday as we do a special edition of First Down South, previewing the national title game as uh, as John Talty adjusts his uh, his camera angle. Which we look, he's trying to give you he's trying to give you the best possible view. Uh, the show today. I could tell it was going to bother me the entire. Show. <laughs> it's, it's good. We like we like the cabinet view, John. Yeah, the the, uh, the 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 big piece of news that we got since the semifinals occurred that is kind of got everybody talking right now is that Jalen Waddle is re- has returned to practice as of today uh, with the team, according to uh, to the reporting from these two fine gentlemen here. This is and all. Zenits. I don't want any. This credit. is all Zenits. Okay, we're we're going to get very mad if I were to get any credit on this one. Right. So this is a solo byline for Matt Zenitz here. But, oh. but yes, Jalen Waddle, according to Matt Zenitz's reporting, uh, is back at practice today. We, we're sort of awaiting word, and we, we may not know until till game time whether or not he can play. Matt, first of all, just a little bit, you know, any, any information that you, can, that you can give us here to kind of round out this story and, and help us understand kind of what the situation is with Jalen Waddle right now physically. Yes, yeah, so not only is he expected to do on-field work today during the course of their practice, but was actually on the field yesterday during their, their walkthrough. So that was his first time in, in uniform doing on-field stuff since he got hurt October 24th. Is uh, made great progress throughout the course of the, the rehab process, the recovery process, to the point that while it's too early to tell how realistic it is for, for him to play in the national title game, it's at least a possibility. And, and a pretty remarkable story to be even be able to say that. I think we all said after that injury, I mean, really just seconds after we all saw what happened to him against Tennessee, the general consensus seemed to be, that's it. That's that's the end of his college career. We're not going to see him play again. I think a lot of people had sort of emotionally resigned themselves to that. People who love watching Jalen Waddle play, who's a, a lot of people because he's one of the most exciting players in college football this year. But the fact that, that he's – even the possibility of it out there, I think it's exciting for fans, but it's also um, how, how much how much of this and not not to suggest that any of the information that we're getting about this is is insincere. But, John, how much of how much of your reporter brain hears this story and thinks is some of this gamesmanship maybe by Alabama to try and try and get in Ohio State's head a little bit? Well, one, I just want to give a little kind of behind-the-scenes tidbit for our viewers. Uh, Matt Zenitz actually broke the Jalen Waddle news while watching Wonder Woman 1984. So he was disappointed to have to pause the movie when he got the call, but what he did. You know, I'm sure Zenitz would tell you that, you know, Alabama doesn't want any information out about it. Um, You know, I I could say that I've heard through the grapevine that they weren't thrilled that we broke this news. but I do think 
to, to to answer your question, no, I don't think there's any conspiracy theory. Just because I know how Matt, how hard Matt worked to get that story, but I do think it is beneficial for Alabama uh, that Ohio State does now have to game plan for him. Now, I could see if you thought you could just you know surprise them with it, you know maybe that's an added factor. But this information was always going to come out one way or another ahead of the game. Saban was going to get asked about it multiple times, probably leading up to the game. So there was never going to be a complete surprise of him playing in this game, regardless. And I think now, you know, you have this shortened week uh, leading up to the title game. I think they have to now at least, you know, put some time and effort, you know, behind preparing for for Waddle to play in this game. And, I, you know, that's, a, I think, advantage to Alabama. Matt, I know you're not a doctor, but but coming off of the specific injury that Jalen Waddle had, what what is kind of the, the, the main concern, I guess, or limitation that somebody like that has when they're coming off of, rehabbing a, a broken ankle, I guess, essentially is what we're talking about, right? Yeah. I, like I said, fortunately, the rehab process has gone very well to the point that this is even realistic. And once again, he took part in the, the walkthrough yesterday doing on-field stuff for the first time since that, that injury. And we'll see how things go throughout the course of the week with practice. And they'll make a determination from there whether he'll be able to, to play in the game. Very, very fascinating. I'm sure that we will, uh, hopefully we'll hear some more uh, about this story by the time we're talking to you next Monday uh, as we get ready for the national championship game. But let's uh, let's go on to another story that I think, you know, I think Alabama fans are hoping does not impact the national championship game, but, uh, but certainly it has been a part of the conversation, and that is that we heard last week that Steve Sarkeesian has uh, accepted the job of, of head coach for the Texas Longhorns. He will be moving on after the national title game. This is really nothing new at Alabama to have a coordinator coaching in a national title game after he has already taken uh, another job. So I, I think there, there are varying results when this has happened in the past. There, there are cases where it didn't go well at all, and there are cases where it doesn't seem to have had much of an impact. John, when, when, with this specific case, uh, and I know you've been a big part of the, of the, you know, the the cycle of of coaching uh, job market stories this year. When you hear about how this Sarkeesian hire went down at Texas, does does this set off any red flags for you in terms of how the preparation for the national championship game will go? No, I don't think it does. I mean, I think. You know, this is something that's been in the works clearly for a couple of weeks now. Um, you know, I think that the offense played you know, more than more than adequate enough to beat Notre Dame. I don't think there are any issues there. The way that we saw, you know, I think if you look, go back to the, the most famous ex- example of you know this being um, a problem was you know in the lead up uh, to national championship game and the lead up to the Peach Bowl, you know, with Lane Kiffin and in that game against Washington, it was just very obvious that the offense wasn't you know, very good. It was disjointed. Uh, you, you heard after the fact that, you know, that Wayne was calling plays that weren't even practiced. And I think Saban at that point realized that, you know, there's some major issues here. You know, I think he kind of had, had allowed it to happen, um, you know, as long as these things were going to work. But then once the offense looked, you know, disjointed the way it did in that Washington game, uh, realized he had to make that move. That's when, you know, famously, uh, you know, mutually parted ways with Kiffin and, and you know, went to Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think we saw any of that in the lead up to the Notre Dame game. Uh, I think, 
you know, whether we see it in the title game is, is to be determined, certainly. But I think Sarkeesian has done a very good job, I think, of balancing things. And I think one of the benefits this year around um, different than past years is just that, you know, no one's really traveling right now anyway. So you can do a lot more things on Zoom than you would have been able to in the past where you got to fly around, you're flying in job candidates, all those different things. You don't have to do as much of that stuff this year. And so I think he's pretty locked in on – you know, trying to win a national championship game. Certainly there'll be some staff hires that are made in the coming days, but I think he realizes that, you know, with early signing period already done, there's not as much of a rush the way there normally is when a guy gets hired and has to kind of rush to put together a staff and, and finish a recruiting class team before that signing period. That's a that's a particularly good point, John, that, that I think recruiting is always probably a big distraction for these coordinators who are calling a national title game. They, they're out there trying to make a bunch of phone calls that week trying to lock down recruits. For the most part, the recruiting class at Texas is is done because of early signing day uh, and because Texas was recruiting before early signing day under the uh, auspices that they were keeping Tom Herman as their head coach. So uh, right or wrong, that's, that's where Texas is right now. They don't have a lot of recruiting work to do for Steve Sarkeesian when he gets there. Uh, I, I do want to give voice to one part of, before we kind of move on to what's next for Alabama, I want to give voice to one concern I hear a lot from Alabama fans about this story, which is that the second half of the semifinal for Alabama, where it seemed like the offense went into a bit more of a shell. Matt, do you think that was by design or was that, uh, was that potentially uh, distracted play calling? Is, is that, is that, is that a, a, a reasoning that you dismiss, I guess? I don't think there's any reason to be concerned about the the play calling whatsoever, especially based on the, the weapons and talent that he has to, to work with. If they would lose this game, it won't be because of the, the offense or any sort of distractions whatsoever in, in terms of Steve Sarkeesian. But just to, to follow up on what, what John was talking about, this had been something that, that had been in the works for a couple of weeks. There were some strong rumblings about this. And, and we even talked about it on the show in terms of Texas being a, a job to, to keep an eye on. And that if when that game opened, that, that there could be somebody who SEC people, uh, people who follow the SEC we, would be very familiar with in terms of a potential replacement option for Tom Herman if that ultimately happened. And I think people know now who we're talking about in terms of that when we brought that up last week on, on the show. But I, I wouldn't have as much concern about Sark being distracted as would have with somebody like Lane leading up to that. <laughs> I think Saban might have even said this after the game, but Saban also likes to kind of take the air out of the ball late in the game. And so I sure. could see up big, knowing you're going to win, you know, that Saban had a little say in, hey, like, we don't need to put up 60 points on these guys. Like, we're going to win here, and let's just let's start burning that clock a little bit more too. And then obviously – Notre Dame did that too. You know, Notre Dame realized that they had to slow the game down and they had some big long drives. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just lowering the reps seems like a, definitely a thing that Saban would do once the, once the margin was sort of uh, comfortable there. So, so let's talk about what happens after the title game. I know everybody's focused on the national title right now. I'm sure that, that, uh, that Nick Saban has at least portion of his brain space right now dedicated to what he's going to do at offensive coordinator, uh, regardless of the fact that he is working on preparing his team for a national title game. We know from varying reports um, that there are already a couple of guys who, who 
potentially have talked to Alabama about this job. What do we know about the way this search has gone so far? I don't think any decisions imminent as far as an offense coordinator. So the, the main name that's come up for me has been Bill O'Brien, who has been around the, the Alabama building during the course of the last couple of days. But one thing I think is important to point out with that, based on the information that I have, it, it seems like this is, in terms of him being there, more of a professional development type deal that would have happened even if there wasn't an offensive coordinator opening. Is there interest from Nick Saban in Bill O'Brien? Yes, it seems like there is interest. But at the same time, I would think that it will not be the only interest that Bill O'Brien has. And based on the sense I have, I, I don't think that he knows what he wants to do yet. And I would think that some of the opportunities that could be there for him would include NFL stuff also, which I think we'll, we'll start to get a better feel on now that the NFL regular season has wrapped up. But he has definitely yeah. been a popular name with, with, with people at this point and people in terms of people whose opinions I, I, I trust. And we've seen that before, that, that Nick Saban does like to bring in guys as sort of consultants before big games in the postseason. Uh, we've heard about it a lot in the past, but sometimes those guys do end up um, getting, getting a job with Alabama. And, and uh, John, just in terms of Bill O'Brien or anybody else that you've heard, what do you feel like, is, is there a template at this point that Saban looks for, for for an offensive coordinator? Are we is there is it even worth looking at a trend or is this such a case by case thing? Well, one, I'll just say as a long suffering Jets fan, uh, if the pick is Adam Gase, good luck, Alabama fans. Uh, but I don't, I don't believe it to be Gase. <laughs> uh, one of the other names that you know that Matt and I both heard is Ole Miss offensive coordinator Jeff Levy. Uh, I've also heard his name uh, in association with the Auburn job. You know, so he's a I think a name in the college ranks. Um, but you know, I know Matt and I were talking about this earlier. You know, Saban has had success going to the NFL ranks recently. You think about he got Sark coming off of Atlanta, got Brian Dable, you know, from New England, and you know he's probably about to be a, a head coach at you know, the NFL level pretty soon. So you know, and. Uh, Zen, you probably remember who was the other guy uh, that was one of the finalists um, when Dable got the job? Was was it George something? So, so George Gatsy had contact. I, I don't think he was a finalist, but the, but there but was he's another guy from the NFL ranks. So he has had success getting guys from the NFL ranks. So I don't think anybody was necessarily shocked by you know Bruce Feldman had a thing yesterday about Adam Gase and Bill O'Brien um, again. I don't think Gase will happen, um, but there is a tie there. You know, they've worked together at Michigan State and LSU. Um, you know, they share an agent, um, and so there's there's some ties there for sure. But I, I, the thing is, I, I've thought about this. You know, I was not uh, – you know, I had some concerns when they hired Mike Loxley, just based on what he had done previously. You know, I know that our former colleague, uh, Ryan Yersaban, you know, he wrote a story with some of the concerns around Sark being hired. And what we've seen – it just seems like there's so much talent there that it almost doesn't matter who they hire at this point. You know, I think that Saban has done such a good job. If you go back, I mean, Nussmeyer maybe wasn't the greatest hire, but since then, everyone has had success. Everyone is putting up a lot of points, and everybody has a ton of weapons to work with. So at this point, like, not to sound like just a, you know, a big Bama homer here, but, like, I just – whoever he hires, I have, you know, trust that – that person's going to do a very good job because there's so much talent and everyone he's hired to this point, even if they had flaws has done extremely well. And I will add in, and we touched on this already. It is worth keeping an eye on Bill O'Brien, even though I would caution not to read too much into just him being there sure. during this week. And based on 
just what I've heard. I don't, I don't think he's just going to be here through like the national title game. I, I think we'll probably leave before then. Seems like that's the, the expectation. So it's interesting that he's been in town, but I wouldn't take that as just being an indicator that it's just a done deal that he's going to be the offense coordinator. Although I will say once again, he, he is a name worth keeping an eye on. And again, there's, you know, as people know this, but you know, a lot of ties between, even if Saban and O'Brien haven't worked together, there's a lot of ties there. Everybody knows the relationship with Bill Belichick, you know, and Adam Gase is kind of in that world too. So it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Belichick even gave Saban a call and recommended O'Brien. You know, there's a lot of ties. You got to remember Saban relies on his network to make these hires and, and O'Brien is 100% in his network. And, and another, another aspect of Bill O'Brien, and, and this is pretty, I mean, this is, this is kind of an obvious point to make, but Saban has talked about in the past how he views it to be very valuable to have guys on his staff who have been head coaches before. Uh, he, he talks about kind of how he sees that as a, as a very valuable piece of experience to have, particularly for a coordinator, because Alabama's staff is so big that when you are a coordinator at Alabama, in some ways you are a bit of a head coach. You're having to do a lot of coordinating work. You're doing a lot more than just calling plays. You are you are running your own staff in some ways. And Bill O'Brien, having been a college head coach at a major program, um, I think would would certainly meet that kind of Saban qualification that he's talked about in the past. Yeah, something something to keep an eye on with Bill O'Brien also is if you talk to anybody that knows him, he wants to be a head coach again. And and I think he realizes the the track record for guys in terms of where things maybe didn't work out in terms of their previous head coaching opportunity. But we were able to come to Alabama, even as recently as SAR, and uh, put themselves back on a path where it led to them getting a, another chance for respectable head coaching opportunity that's something that depending on just hey, how this goes the path that goes down that maybe could work in Alabama's favor with him I think that's a great point and I think that I was just going to say like if I was an offensive play caller this would probably be the number one place I'd want to be and I'll in college football right now because you're going to make a ton of money every single guy who's come through there recently has become a head coach after he left and you know you know, maybe Nick Saban isn't the easiest guy to work for, but he, he is going to give you some autonomy on the offensive side of the ball. It's not He's not going to meddle as much there as he would if you're his defensive coordinator. So I think that, you know, you would think, wow, Bill O'Brien. But it there's so much interest in this job that I think that whether it's Bill O'Brien or somebody else, you're going to get someone who has a great reputation in the business and someone, you know, who I think people will be like, it will have a name behind it, you know. And not to mention, in a spot where they're going to be depending on his input on whether to trade any wide receivers or, or that's not. That's right, but 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 you know, and it, you, it's funny you talk about talent. I mean, obviously, it's always there at Alabama, but particularly coming coming in with this next group seems like it would be a strategically good move for your career because Alabama just signed in this in this 2021 class an incredible group of wide receivers. I believe four in the top 10 nationally wide receiving recruits, plus an incredible offensive line uh, recruiting class as well. So to, to go along with that. And a five-star running back to go along with that. Yeah. So and you said Bryce Young sitting on the bench is ready to yeah. take over. So, so like good, John, you essentially – Billingsley, you, you have Evan Neal right. who over to left tackle next year. This isn't going to be an offense devoid of talent, even after losing uh, three of the, the top five guys most likely 
in terms of the, the Heisman race, along with, with some key members of the offensive line. Still going to have plenty of talent to, to work with. For sure. But you, but, but I, I do think it's, I could see some appeal in particular of this sort of, you get this little bit of a reset coming in after Sark where you're not inheriting this offense that's 100% shaped by the previous guy. You, you sort of get all of these young guys that you can bring up and shape in your own way and kind of make it your offense. So I, I think that's, a, that's an interesting opportunity for whoever comes next. Um, speaking of elite wide receivers, since we mentioned that, uh, we could be on the verge of seeing some history tonight in college football for the first time in, I believe, 23 years. Uh, we could be looking at, at least according to odds makers, uh, we could be looking at a non-backfield player winning a Heisman Trophy tonight uh, in Devontae Smith for Alabama. He is he is currently the odds-on favorite. We know that 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 gambling odds are not uh, gospel. We know that they're wrong all the time. But right now, the betting favorite to win the Heisman Trophy tonight is a wide receiver. Um, I, I'm I'm very curious. Just for, and and our our uh, our colleague Craig Stevenson actually wrote a story for AL.com today about kind of putting that into perspective and the historical significance of that. But just in the current state of college football, uh, I'm kind of curious what you guys think about that idea of a, it's, it's incredibly rare for, for it to even be considered, let alone for it to be the favored thing to happen. But, but how, how does, how does sort of the big picture of that, still surprise you at this point, John, that we're talking about a wide receiver favored to win the Heisman tonight? It does. It's funny. You know, Craig and I were talking yesterday, you know, talking about the story that he wrote today. And the thing that I still don't fully understand is how it went from, hey, it'd be interesting if Devonta was the Heisman to in like a two, three week time being like, oh, it's obviously he's the Heisman. You know, I still don't 100% know how that happened. Um, and I don't know, the thing that I keep coming back to, and there's no like, proof behind this is just a theory it's just that like just given the weird year that we've had that maybe people were more open to doing something new and unique this year and you know it's been 29 years since a, a wide receiver won the Heisman and maybe that's just you know that they want to do something different but it's just kind of funny that you know it, because at the time Mac Jones was I think you know, either number one or number two and he didn't do anything bad from there but somehow Devonta just completely overtook him uh, it's just kind of funny how that all worked out, but I think it's exciting, and uh, yeah, I just think it's cool that we're going to get something different um, after this being such a quarterback-dominated, uh, you know, award for so long now. Yeah, and, and, and so, so what have I said throughout the course of the, the last month or so since we really started heating up in terms of talking about the Heisman stuff? The the, the stuff that carries weight to me is the the opinion of his peers in terms of other players around. The, Alabama program, other players around the conference, and then the same thing from a coaching perspective with these coaches around the conference. Think of of him and this also, and he has been the popular guy for people across the board in terms of within the conference for the, the Heisman and the, and the guy that has come up the most throughout the course of this last month period at the very least in terms of the guy that they felt like was most deserving. And the thing that's worth keeping in mind also, just looking at it specifically in terms of his teammates, they vote every year as far as that locker room on the player that they view as being the team's most valuable player. Their pick this year, Devontae Smith. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think what's what's interesting to me about this award, and we've we've talked about it 
several times, really, as we've we've you know had the occasion to cover players that are in the race over the years here. But it really there's so much discussion and impassioned arguments that get made about the Heisman Trophy about this guy deserves it. People pulling out stats. It really isn't about any of that. It it really isn't an objective award. It has so much to do with kind of which guy is capturing people's attention and imagination at the right time, right before those votes are due in. Uh, and, And it's interesting to me that this year of all years, this very weird year that Heisman voters sort of suddenly got their attention captured by a guy who completely doesn't fit the mold of what they normally like. The, the Heisman voters, look, whether Devontae wins or not, at the fact that he's this, he, he's in this position, I think it's I think it's interesting that college football's sort of upper class, the guys who vote for this award, decided a lot of them decided anyway they wanted to do something different this year. They wanted to kind of cast off tradition. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Am I, am I making this into a thing? No, I mean, that's kind of what I think, too. I just think yeah. that there's something that's unique about this year. And, you know, Devonta, I mean, it's also just Devonta's incredible. And so I think he's very well-deserving. You know, uh, unfortunately, the the higher-ups of college football haven't given First Down South a Heisman vote yet. We're working on it. But I, if they did, I would vote for Devonta this year. But I just think it's just been fun to watch him play. And I just – I think part for me is just someone who's covered this team for a few years, you know, during his career. It's just that he's always been the guy who got overlooked. Even with the most famous play of the last 20-something years of Alabama, Devonta still always got overlooked. It was always Ruggs. It was always Judy. Uh, even Waddle. And so I just think it's so cool that this guy who was so overlooked, even at the start of the season, is going to end up being the Heisman winner. It's, it's, very, it's very interesting that especially not just a wide receiver – but a wide receiver on a at a program that I think we all kind of universally have said in the last few years is probably more stacked at that position than any other program in America. I, I think if you told us that in twenty, if you told us a few years ago in twenty twenty, a wide receiver is going to win the Heisman, I don't necessarily think I would have told you that it would have been an Alabama player because I would have assumed there's so much talent at that position group for Alabama that there's no way one guy can emerge as the clear favorite. If we were basing wide receiver U off just who's the best wide receiver in the NFL, then you'd have to pick Maryland uh, because of Stefan Diggs. But if we're going more quantity versus just quality, I think Alabama, just of all the guys they have on. They're, they're, about, to have, they're about to have, what, pr- probably after this, after this upcoming draft, Alabama might be getting pretty close to having 10 active wide receivers in the NFL. I might I might be overshooting it a little bit. Matt Matt probably knows more than me. I'm out of the loop on on that stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm busy, busy enough uh, trying to keep up with with talking and gathering information on a daily basis. I haven't really had a chance to keep up with things from an NFL standpoint, but they definitely have a lot and about to have more. I mean, in just the last decade they're going to have what, seven first round picks at wide yeah. receiver. If you're doing Waddle and Devonta go, it's probably more than I don't know. And yeah, and I you. can't, I can't imagine that having a Heisman winner at wide receiver is going to uh, to slow down Alabama's wide re- wide receiver recruiting anytime soon. It's probably just going to accelerate it. 
yeah, definitely getting for this class, uh, considering the group that you already mentioned that they're bringing in. Plus a new Devonta Smith coming in. That's right. A, a new person named Devonte Smith coming in. We'll, we'll, we're trying to stop wide receivers now. So instead of getting the production from Devonte Smith at wide receiver, you're going to be getting Devonte Smith trying to stop wide receivers. I think you got to. I think you got to change his positions. I think you just got to let opponents think that he's still on the team for uh, as long no, as possible. I, I think you try to put yourself in position for 2025 Heisman winner Devonte Smith at corner for for Alabama. Those are some big shoes to fill in. It's not like that's like the most common name. It's not like it's like John Smith. Like, all right, there might be another John Smith. Be like, you know, trying to follow up Matt right. at ale.com. I think we lost Khaleesi. I think he's just that happy. that. <laughs> but that's probably a good ending note, just knowing that Khaleesi's that happy with the, the final part of the, the show. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of First Down South. You can listen to the podcast available wherever you find podcasts, Apple, Google, Stitcher, uh, Acast. Uh, as Scalise mentioned earlier, we will have a show on Monday previewing the national championship game, a little bit different, uh, and hopefully we'll have a uh, Tuesday show as well. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Andrews Sports Medicine. Aggressively pursuing victory over injury. Call 205-939-3699.